Good morning, everyone. Some of you are awake this morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name's Tom, and I'm one of the leaders here at Hope. And uh, I'm going to be speaking for the next half an hour or so. I want you to tune in to what I have to share with you. I wonder if um, I might just get you to imagine something, a little scenario, just for a moment. Just imagine for a moment that uh, this afternoon, as you go home, maybe you're tucking into a nice roast dinner. Uh, don't think about the roast yet. Uh, you're tucking into that nice roast dinner, and you get a phone call, and you think, this isn't a number, I don't recognize this number. And you think, I'm going to pick it up anyway. And you pick up the phone, and at the other end of the phone, there is a very posh-sounding man who's calling from London, and he says, Her Majesty the Queen is going to come and stay at your house tonight. And uh, she's going to arrive at 6 o'clock, she's expecting dinner, and she's going to stay overnight and going to leave after breakfast. What would you do? Have you ever imagined that scenario? What if the Queen came? What would you do? Would you say no? Or would you say, okay, very calmly, put the phone down and then panic? Would you suddenly think, why, oh, why have I been putting off that DIY project for months? Why, oh, why have we treated our spare room as a dumping ground for all of our rubbish? Why are there just baskets full of unpaired up socks in the spare room? Well, I need to panic, basically, and get the house sorted out. Maybe you'd make a quick dash to Aldi before it closes to get some supplies in. Or you might even think that the Queen is worthy of Waitrose. You might think, I'm going to splash out a little bit more money this time around, and I'm going to get some really nice stuff in. I don't know what you would do. Well, this actually kind of happened back in the 70s when Jimmy Carter was president of the USA. He, uh, on a number of occasions, um, stayed at the homes of common Americans in order to kind of work out what life was like for them, to understand what their concerns were, and to appear like he was in touch with the American people. And basically, without much notice at all, because of security reasons, people would get a call and say, is it okay if President Carter comes to stay at your house tonight? This happened. And in today's story that we're going to look at from the Bible, something similar kind of, ha kind of happens, where, the, where God in the flesh comes to stay with a guy called Abraham. Thousands of years before we celebrate the nativity, you know, what we'll be celebrating in a few uh, weeks' time, and seeing kids dressing up as Mary and Joseph, and all of that amazing story. But thousands of years before that, before that, we see God come in the flesh to visit this guy called Abraham, and has a meal with him. We're going to continue our, our Surprised by God series today. We've seen how, how God is holy, he's other, he's, he's so unlike us, he's in a category of his own and yet he's knowable. We've seen that he's the God who sees, we heard that from Tim the other week, he's the God who sees, he knows all, there's nothing that escapes his attention. We've seen that he's the unchanging God, there's no, there's no changing, he doesn't kind of change with the times, no, he's, he's constant, steadfast. We've seen that he's all-wise and that he's the source of all wisdom. And we've seen that he's the God who rejoices. He's the God of joy. He rejoices when someone turns around and comes back to him. And today, we're going to see that he's the God who draws near. And we're going to see that we can have friendship with this God who draws near. I'm going to speak about friendship with God. I've never heard a message on friendship with God. I'm going to speak about that today. And I want to read to you a story from Genesis chapter 18, which is about this guy called Abraham, who we actually heard a bit about 
uh, the other week from Tim. Now, if you weren't there, let me tell you a little bit about Abraham. This is thousands of years before Jesus came to the scene, and uh, Abraham was a very old man. In fact, he was known as Abram at one point. He was a very old man, and his wife was very old as well. And they have no children. He's from, a, 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 I guess, a place that is, today is Iraq. This is the kind of area of the world that we're talking about. They've got no kids. And in Genesis chapter 12, we read that God comes to Abraham, and he speaks to him, and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you. He says, you'll be a blessing to all the world. I'll bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a, a massive promise. Abram at that point is 75 years old. His wife Sarah is 66 years old. Now whether or not they counted years in the same way as we do now back then is by the by. They were old and they had no right to be expecting children. The Bible in another part says that they were as good as dead. That's not a very nice way to describe someone. <laughs> but that's, that's how old they were. They were old. They had no right to be expecting a family of any sorts. And in Genesis chapter 15, God says to, to, uh, to Abram, these descendants of yours are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. They're going to be as numerous as the grains of sand on the beach. Next chapter in Genesis 16 is where, where we heard from Tim the other week, where Abram and Sarah, they kind of try and force the issue. And we can, if you want to hear from Tim, the God who sees this message, you can find it on our website. It's a fantastic message. They try and force the issue because they, there's no child forthcoming. And then in Genesis chapter 17, God renames Abram Abraham, which means father of many. So Abraham has already got this track record of God speaking to him. And then we see this intriguing story in Genesis chapter 18, which is what we're going to read. I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to read a verse from the book of James, which is in the New Testament. So I'm going to read, and the verses will come up on the screens around the room and around the building as well. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honoured your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to his tent. He ran to Aldi. Okay, this is the moment. He's having the panic. He ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. And then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. And when the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham said. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure 
especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. Then the Lord said to Abraham, this is where we see Lord in capital letters. This is God speaking to Abraham. This is, it becomes very apparent that this visitor to Abraham is God himself. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. I love this bit. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> and then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. This is a city. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And then what ensues is this really wonderful bit of bargaining where Abraham says, What about 45 righteous people? What if there's 45 there? Will you spare the city then? And the Lord says, yes. And then it's, what about 40? And it's just this beautiful moment where Abraham starts to, to, to plead on behalf of this city. And then the Lord replied at the very end of this passage, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. And when the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. This is quite an unusual story. It's, it's remarkable. What we see here is a pre-nativity appearance of the always existing, fully divine Son of God. We see him coming to Abraham, probably with a couple of angels who are also appearing, appearing in human form. And Abraham talks with the Lord like they're good friends. He's, he's certainly familiar with him, which makes me wonder whether or not the previous conversations he's had with him, at least some of them, have also been with God in the flesh, where he can actually see and recognize who this is that's before him. Abraham had a special friendship with God, and on three occasions he's described as the friend of God. This is one of them in James chapter 2, if I can find it. Here we go. James chapter 2, verse 23. It says this. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
he was even called the friend of God. This is very, very, this is amazing, really. In a number of places, Abraham is referred to as the friend of God. And this story, and in fact the whole of the Bible, shows us that that God is a God who longs to draw near. That he's not a God who's aloof and who started things off millions or billions of years ago, depending on what you sort of ascribe to, or thousands of years ago. He's not someone who just started it off and just said, right, off we go, and I'm going to leave it. No, he, he really is a God who wants to draw near, who wants to be known and, and, to, and for others to know him and for him to know others intimately. This is what the, the Bible shows us. He's a God who wants to draw near. He's the God who befriends. And I said right at the beginning of this series, if you were here, that if you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus, because Jesus perfectly represents his father. It really is like father, like son. A lot of people say to me, when they see my son, they say, my goodness, he's just like you. And yesterday, he, he played his first ever football match. We're talking like proper kit, referees, and all of that kind of stuff. Played his first ever match, and it really was like father, like son. He played okay, but in the second half, he basically walked around the pitch pretending to be a pirate. And that, that really is like father like son. He lost his concentration halfway through the game. With, with Jesus and his, and his father, it really is like father like son. It really is, is the case that when you see Jesus, you see perfectly what God the Father is like. And in his life on this earth, Jesus drew near to people. He had real friendships with people. Not just with his disciples, the, the 12 that he chose to, to to particularly learn from him and follow him around and learn his ways. But he, he had really strong friendships. You see him befriending people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three siblings. They were good friends of his. And Lazarus dies and he grieves. He's grieved at this, brings his friend back to life. Jesus had deep friendships. He, he made friends with people that if you saw them coming down the supermarket aisle, you think, I'm just going to give them a bit of social distancing. That's the kind of like, this is the sort of people that Jesus befriended. And he says to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. This is much more than a, a master and slave deal and much more than a, a teacher-pupil deal. This was friendship. He developed friendships which meant a lot to him. He drew near People saw him up close. They knew Jesus. And this is what God is like. He longs to draw near and for us to draw near to him. He longs for us to walk with him like Abraham walked with him. This is so significant. I believe this is it's so important that we grasp this. I pray that we, we grasp that it wasn't just a deal for Abraham or for the disciples. It isn't just for special Christians, but that for everyone... Who, who comes to place their faith in Jesus, that this is on offer. Friendship with God, knowing him. The God of the universe who draws near. So I've got two main headings in the remaining minutes that we have, for those of you who like to take notes. The first is friendship with God being all you need and all you truly desire. And secondly, we're going to look at cultivating friendship with the God who draws near. So firstly, friendship with God being all you need and all you truly desire. Jesus made a really, really bold claim in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. That's what he came 
to bring about. So he's kind of, kind of laid out his, his mission statement to a degree. I have come that they may have life in all its fullness. Who here is not after life in all its fullness? We are all after soul-satisfying life, aren't we? We're all after life in all its fullness. I don't think I've met anyone who says, no, I'm quite happy being miserable. I'm quite, you know, we're all after real life, aren't we? We're all after something that deeply satisfies our soul. And I don't think anyone has found it in the things that this world has to offer. If you have, if you can really say, I've found deep, soul-satisfying life in things that this world has to offer, come and, come and speak to me. I want to hear your story. I don't think anyone's found it in the dream career. I don't think anyone's found it in the perfect house, the grand designs kind of house. I don't think anyone's found it in a relationship where they can say they have totally, you know, we hear these phrases sometimes on a good romantic comedy, you complete me. I don't think anyone's found someone that they can really say, really say they've completed me. I don't think anyone, that's just the kind of Hugh Grant thing. All right. I, I, I don't think anyone's found that in a relationship. I don't think anyone's found that in a sex life. I don't think anyone's found that in the nightclubs. I don't think anyone's found true, deep, soul-satisfying joy and life in anything that this world has to offer. But Jesus claims that that's what he's come to give. That's what he's come to do. How is he going to go about achieving that? Well, in that same passage, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he's talking about the fact that he's going to lay, he's anticipating the fact that he's going to lay down his life on the cross and it's going to be so that, that, that many could be forgiven and pardoned, that, they, that, that their debts could be paid, that all of the, the just uh, punishment that we deserve for all that we've done wrong and said wrong and thought wrong would go upon him on the cross. So that, not just that, so that we can be forgiven and pardoned, but that we can be brought into a relationship with the God who created everything. And not just a kind of, you know, uh, just sort of a functional relationship, but no, a deep friendship, a deep relationship that really is soul satisfying. That's the deal. That's why Jesus came to bring us into that. And so when he claims, I've come that they may have life and life to the full, he's, he's, he's saying it can only be found in one place. It really can only be found in one place. This is why he came. And this, friends, is what you really need and what I believe you really do desire. Underneath it all, if you, if you were to ask yourself, what drives me? I believe underneath it all, you really are searching for a soul-satisfying relationship with your creator. I believe that's what you are searching for, even if you wouldn't say it for yourself. This is the thing that brings true fullness of life, to know God, to know him and to have friendship with him. Maybe you're here today and maybe it's your first time in a church service and you might not really be sure where you stand on these things. I really do believe that whatever your story, and I don't know Many people here, there's many people here whose faces I don't recognize. I really do believe that what you are searching for and what you're really longing for is to know God. But you might be looking in at all kinds of other places right now, thinking, if I, if I get that, then I, I will have soul satisfaction. Jesus said there's only one way to know that. 
Maybe you're, you're looking for it in recognition or respect from others. Maybe you're looking for it in, in having people speak well of you. Maybe you want the approval of parents. Maybe even parents that aren't even with us any longer. And you're thinking, I'm just living for some kind of well done. I'm trying to live to honor so-and-so. Maybe you're addicted to success and just getting more and more money. You're not even really sure what to do with it all. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that particularly drives you right now. What it is that you could say, I'm living for. But I do believe with all my heart that what you're searching for is really to know God. And I want to help show you, signpost you to the fact that you've been searching in the wrong places. What you're really searching for is friendship with God. And listen, you might be here this morning and you might have come to church for a long time. At one point, you might have even kind of walked with God and you might have wandered away and kind of got into all kinds of other things. And you might have been, I don't know why you're here this morning. You might have just come back thinking, I'll give it one more try. And what you found is that the things that you've gone after have not only just not satisfied, but they've actually hurt you in some ways. And you've given yourself wholeheartedly to some other things. They've ended up enslaving you, bringing you misery. And today, I want to say to you, come back to God. He's really the only one who satisfies, knowing him, walking with him. It's really all you desire, whether you know it or not. It's what you were made for. So, how do we cultivate friendship with the God who draws near? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is it's a two-way deal. It's a two-way thing. Abraham was God's friend. God was Abraham's friend. It's, it's not an equal partnership because there's no way we're, we're in equal with God. He's had, to, he's had to stoop low. He's had to make us right with him. He's had to draw near to us. It's not an equal thing, but it's a two-way thing. And it requires us actually responding to him in some ways. We see that the Lord often visited Abraham, but we also see that Abraham made altars whereby he would go and talk with God. He would build these kind of spaces for himself where he'd go and bring worship to God and where he'd go and talk with God. We see in Genesis 19 that he got up early in the morning to go to the place where he would meet with God. So it's a two-way thing. And you might be thinking, God isn't really speaking to me. You might be thinking, I, I, it feels like there's radio silence where God's concerned. I want to ask you, are you, are you putting yourself in the place to hear from God. Now, this is one such place where I do believe that God will want to speak to you when we gather together as we do. But there's a sense in which you can be here but not really be here. You can be here going through the motions or you can go saying, God, I want to hear from you today. I want my heart to be soft. I want my ears to be open, whether that's through your word as it's preached, whether it's just through as I'm speaking to someone after the service and they're just speaking wisdom to me or praying for me, or whether it's as someone comes and brings what they believe God's laid on their heart as we're worshiping. We can kind of come and just think, well, I'm just going through the motions. It's what I do on the weekends. It's what I do on a Sunday. We can come or we can say, God, I'm expectant to meet with you today. Oh, that we would come expectant on Sundays. We would come expectant that the, the living God, the God of the universe, wants to speak to me. He wants to get my attention. He wants to change my thinking in some ways. He wants to bring me into new, glorious ways of thinking about the world and seeing the world the way that he sees it. He wants to uh, shape me. He wants to make me more patient or more loving, more great. He wants to do some things. Is this our expectation when we gather? Or is it, well... 
it's raining outside and there's not much else to do. And the kids will enjoy the groups. I don't know. Uh, what's our expectation? Abraham seemed to, 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 to make some space to, 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 to make it possible that he would, he would hear what God was saying to him. It's not just Sundays, it's, it's throughout the week. Are we, are we intentionally putting ourselves in spaces and places where we know I'm going to listen out to what God might be saying to me? Abraham found a place where he'd go and meet with God. Jesus, we read in Luke 5, often withdrew to lonely places to pray. He was ruthless in this. Can you just imagine for a moment Jesus packing his rucksack and thinking, I'm going to go and get a day just to go and be with God. Can you imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, before you go, we're just having this discussion and we really would like your opinion on uh, what we're talking about. Or, or Jesus, can you just, go? there's some people over in that town over there, they've asked you to come and visit, they really want you to heal some people, can we just do that? Jesus had to say at times, sorry guys, I'll see you later on tonight. I'm going away for the day. I'm going to go and, I'm going to go and pray. There was, there was some, something ruthless there. I've, I've, I've got to, I've got to, there's just so many things going on that would distract us. We, we, as I said the other week, we look at our phones hundreds of times a day. I was reminiscing with a friend yesterday about CFAX and Teletext. Anyone remember that? I was speaking, we were speaking with another younger guy who's in his 20s. He's like, I'd never heard of it. I thought, you've missed out. The glory of Teletext, being able to, I'm going to read about the sport and put in 302 and I'll read about that. Well, now we have things coming at us left, right, and center all the time. If you don't know what Teletext or CFAX is, you'll see it in a museum in a few years' time, and you'll read about it. It was basically like the internet before it came uh, you know, to our phones, and we could read about what was going on in the world. Listen, we, we now have so many distractions because of these things. And, and really, friends, it's, it can squeeze out friendship with God. It can squeeze out time with God, intentional time to go and be with God, and to lay before him all that we need to lay before him. Abraham would have walked long journeys in which he would have spoken out to God as he walked. He's not just worrying out loud. He's, he's petitioning God as well. We see him petitioning in, in, uh, in Genesis 18. He's asking God for a whole city. He's praying, God, would you have mercy on them? There's, a, there's kind of a, a, a thing, friends, that I feel we need to step into as a church where we, where we kind of Ruthless, ruthlessly carve out time to be with God. It may not be prayer walking for you, it is for me. I love to go and pray and walk. I look weird. I haven't got a dog. So I'm walking in like countryside or on the beach and people are walking their dogs and stuff. And they think, Who's this guy just walking around? I look weird, but I don't care. There's people, who, there's people who are out there who are weirder than me. That's fine. I can live with that. But I, I just, I need to go and I need to go and pray. I need to go and be with God. I need to go and cast my cares upon him. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Like casting your cares upon God takes some time sometimes because you actually need to kind of reach into your heart and your mind a bit and think, what am I anxious about right now? What am I, what is it that deep down I'm, I'm kind of, dis what's disturbing me? Yesterday morning, I drove to the tip at nine o'clock in the morning. We had to take some stuff to the tip and I had to say, what was, what was it, God, that's disturbing me? What is it that's, that's causing me sadness within? I was sad about some things. And I had to just lay them before God as I drove. Just cast my cares upon him. Are you doing this, friends? Do you know that this is what, this is an invitation. It's not a, you know, make sure it's another thing I do. No, this is God's invitation to you to be burdenless. Wow. 
Have you grasped that? He wants you to be without cares and burdens upon you. He wants you to, he wants to take them upon himself. To have friendship with him. To, to know I can walk with a God who created all things and I can cast my cares upon him. Do you believe that there's some things that you can't talk to God about? Do you believe that there's some things that are on a no-go list? Some things that are maybe too selfish to ask him about? Or some things that are maybe, you know, he doesn't care about those things. No, he really does. He, he wants to hear your heart. True friends are not, they don't, they're not really interested in you putting on a front. You may have good friends who, they know when something's not right within. They can just see it in an instant. They can just see something in your spirit that isn't quite right. Well, God doesn't want us to just put on a pretense. Some of you have kind of, that's all you've ever known. Maybe you've kind of been brought up in church traditions where someone says, hey, how are you doing? You say, yeah, praise God, amen, hallelujah, I'm really good. And you're not. He, he really, he's, he's not about us just pretending how we're doing. He wants us to, to be real before him. True friends want to hear the heart. Sometimes you're going to hear God speak to you. Maybe sometimes audibly you'll hear God say something really clear to you. Maybe sometimes as you're reading his word, some things will just light up your soul. Sometimes you'll, that will happen when someone like me speaking as I am now. I've had a number of people come over to me over the years saying, it was like you were speaking to me today. I needed to hear that. It was like there was no one else in the room, but you were speaking to me. God does that. But sometimes he just wants to bring peace to you. Sometimes that's, that's his deal. It says in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. Are you anxious for lots of things right now? It says in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And this is amazing. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many people need to know your heart and your mind guarded? Do you need to know that? Guarded by peace? Well, you need to just come before God. And it says here, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So that's quite simple, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, I don't have to be very clever to, to read that and kind of apply that. This is simple. To get before God and with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present my requests to him. He wants us to ask him. He wants us to, 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 to cultivate this friendship with him where we walk with him, where we make time to be with him, where, we, where maybe it's in a room, you lock the door and no one else can come in, you turn your phone off for an hour. He wants us to come to that place where we ask things of him. We can do that. We can do this. And God responded to his friend. God responded to Abraham in, in that story. He responds. And we heard last week from Nick about the fear of God. The fear of God being the beginning of all wisdom. And the fear of God is this, is this rejoicing in all he is and trembling at who he is and trembling at what we would be without him. It's a reverence that comes about when we realize all that he's done for us and all that he is. And so there is to be a right fear of God, but there's also to be a boldness 
We can come before God boldly. So we don't have to sort of tiptoe around thinking, can I talk to God about that? Can I lay before him my marriage and the mess in the marriage? My, my marriage is not in a mess. I'm just using that as an example right now. <laughs> really isn't. It's great. Can I, can I bring this to God? Can I bring this situation in my work to him? Does he really care? Now we can come boldly, friends. This is so vital that we understand that, that God has, has made us right with him, that he's justified us. So, so our confidence in prayer is not based upon our own performance. So I'm not thinking, okay, I've done quite well this week, so now I can ask God for this situation. Because it's not about, our confidence is not based on what we do. When, when the Bible talks about being justified by faith, it's that we, through faith in Jesus and what he's done, we are justified. We're made right with God, just as if we'd never sinned. And even better than that, just as if we'd lived the life that Jesus lived. That's our confidence before God in prayer. That's our confidence before God in this friendship that he wants us to cultivate with him. That we've been made right. We've been justified if we've placed our faith in Jesus. That's how confident we can be in asking. So I want to just pose some questions to us now as we come to close. I want to firstly ask some questions of those in the room here who are Christians. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, I want to ask you these questions. Do you know that you have been saved, you have been justified, not just to kind of make you acceptable to God, but to bring you into friendship with God? Do you know that? When are you drawing near to him? When are you drawing near to him? What are you talking with him about? What are you talking with God about? What are you asking him about? What's he saying to you? What is he speaking to you about? Where are you being obedient to him? Jesus says in John 15, you're my friends if you do what I command. So there's this kind of friendship and there's also some things that Jesus is going to ask of us. Are we, are we responding to his ask? Where are this, there's going to be some things in the walk with God through our lives where we're going to have to do some things that are pretty radical. It might be laying down some things. It might be taking up some things. It might be speaking out. It might be listening. I don't know what it might be. be things that we just wouldn't want to do naturally. Don't want to come naturally to us. Where are we being obedient to him? And then I want to ask you a question. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to ask you two, maybe three questions. We'll see how we go. What is... What is driving you in life? What is driving you in life? What is it that you're living for? What is it that life is all about? What is the reason for your existence? Are you deeply satisfied? Are you deeply satisfied? I want to just leave those questions with you. I want to urge you to reach out to God today. I want to read to you from one of the, the last chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus says these words. He says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. 
I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. If you hear my voice and open the door, then I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I truly believe with all my heart that Jesus is not far from you. If you, if, you, if, you, if you don't know Jesus, he's standing at the door of your life and he's knocking and he's saying, receive me. I will come in and I will eat with you as a friend. I will, I will turn your life around. He will receive Jesus and you'll, you'll have a friend forever. You'll have a friend forever, a friend who will never unfriend you, a friend who will be faithful to the end, into eternity. And life's not always going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Abraham. There were times when it was confusing. He had to wait a long time for this child. And then God made big asks of him that are downright confusing. There'll be things in life that are confusing, even as a Christian, friends. And, and maybe that your, your impression of people here who are Christians, they must, they're raising their hands in worship. It, their life must be perfect. It's not. It's hard sometimes. It's confusing sometimes. But it's glorious. It's glorious. He's going to prove again and again that he's good. That's been my testimony. I became a Christian at the age of 16. I got baptized. I started to prayer walk at that age, just walking in the fields near to my town, looking weird. I just started to talk to God, learn cultivating a friendship with God, started to, to sort of listen out for what he was saying, started reading the Bible, the Word of God, started to understand what his will for my life was. And I have found that over those, however many years, I can't even do the maths on the stage right now, over 16 years, 18 years, I found him to be really faithful. And I've made some foolish decisions over those 18 years. I've made some foolish choices, and I've found him to be faithful. And I've known some, some confusing times in those 18 years when I thought, where are you, God? What are you doing here, God? And I've found him to be my rock and my shelter I found him to be my hiding place. I found him to be faithful. I remember, I, 18 years old, I went and spent some time in Mexico, amazing country. Six months I was there, and my place, because it was a very busy city, was on a top of a block of flats. And the first few weeks, I cried most nights, because I couldn't speak much Spanish, and I couldn't communicate with people, and it was hard, and I felt lonely. And I knew God was with me comforting me, strengthening me. I don't say that for any sympathy. <laughs> I'm not well over that. It's fine. But listen, God proved himself faithful in hard times again and again and again. And he will do it for you. You, you can receive him today. And he will give you his grace and mercy. I'll finish with this. Charles Spurgeon, uh, who was a, a great preacher from a couple of centuries ago, speaking about friendship with God. He said, let us not settle for being a mere stowaway on this liner of free grace. Let's go into the first cabin and enjoy all the comforts on the way, having fellowship with the great captain of our salvation.
Listen, it's, God's desire for you is not that you just kind of have agreed to some statements about him. Maybe prayed a prayer once upon a time. No, he wants to draw you in. He wants you to know him deeply. And you can. Spurgeon goes on to say, let us enjoy heaven while on the road to heaven. <laughs> it's not that one day I'm going to be with God. Yes, we will. One day we'll see face to face. And it will be glorious. And all the tears of this life will be wiped away. But we get to enjoy him now. So I want us to invite us to stand right now. Maybe the band could be ready to lead us in a, in a song to respond. And I want to pray. And then uh, Tim and Ez will, will help us uh, to respond some more. Father, we thank you that we, we don't worship a God who is aloof and far away. But we, we, we come to a God who has himself drawn near, who ultimately drew near when Jesus Christ came to this earth to live amongst us, to live a perfect life, that one was without sin, without offense to, to you, Father. And we thank you that today we get to celebrate and rejoice in the fact that this Jesus, his record, his perfection has now been given to us. It's been accredited to us by faith. It was not about anything that we did. It was nothing special about us. It was your grace and your grace alone. And we celebrate that today, Lord. And I pray that we, each one in this room, I pray that each one in this room who know you already will walk more, all the more into this inheritance that you've won for us. Friendship with God. Friendship like Abraham had friendship with God. We want to, I want to pray that my friends here will know friendship with you, daily communing with you, talking with you, receiving from you, just knowing your peace, Lord. I pray that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard the hearts and minds of those here. Lord, and I pray that for anyone who doesn't yet know you, Lord God, that right now they would hear your knock. They will open the door. And they will invite you in. And Lord God, that they, their lives will be transformed. That they would walk into, I get to know this God. I get to know Jesus Christ, his son. I get to know him for eternity. And it's glorious, soul-satisfying. Lord God, would you come and do that now? Even as we sing, would there be transformation? Would there be life transformation going on? Would there be moments for people who could say, it started for me that day, that morning? Would it be, Lord, we pray? Would you take people on an adventure of knowing you, a friendship with you? We thank you in Jesus' name for your presence with us right now. Amen.